Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another Wednesday and another week of American tennis. Every Wednesday at noon, folks, on the Yellow Ball Network. Uh, Folks, I think you can still get the program on the UR Tennis Network as well. Uh, Jason Haynes, original of the originator of the American Tennis Program and the UR Tennis Network, um, the the programs may still be there, but you can get every program that I've done on American Tennis. You can get them uh, at www.tennis.com. ChuckCreasy.net. That's K-R-I-E-S-E. ChuckCreasy.net. And you can get every program over the last five years. This is our fifth year of American tennis. And man, oh man, it's flying by, but uh, I'm just very glad to be able to do the program every week. Now, I wanted to remind you every Thursday at 530 uh, John Denise is along, and he's got the ment- his mentoring program uh, and four different mentors from around the country I, and teachers. And I'm very, very happy that I'm going to be on the program tomorrow, which will be uh, the, gosh darn, what is the date? The 9th of November, actually. I'll be on the program for the entire hour tomorrow and talking about um, some of the different things in my book, instructional series. He wants an instructional series for some of his listeners. But Folks, I'm going to have a bit of an abbreviated program today, so I want to try to get right into everything that we're going to cover. I wanted to remind you, American Tennis, the job is stand up, speak out, say those things that need to be said, ask the questions that need to be asked, folks. As I've often said, a squeaky wheel gets the oil. If it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. But daggone it, you need to stand up, speak out, and ask questions and just try to figure out, you know, what we need to do and how we need to go about it with tennis in the United States of America. 
Well, I wanted, uh, because we're in that time of year, you know, I, I have a lot of parents that will call me and kids will call me and ask me about what the heck to do about this recruiting process that uh, goes on with colleges. And I thought it would be a good program to give you a quick 30-minute run-through on what it's all about and what you need to know and what you need to think about. So this should be some good information, and I want to get going on it right away. And uh, we do have to take one short commercial break, but uh, I'm going to try to push that off until later in the program. But I, I wanted to start out by saying that, look, there are more kids playing tennis in college than I think any any other sport. I, I, I'm thinking they were saying basketball lacrosse is building up there a lot, but there's lots of tennis programs out there still. Now, we know that most of the recruiting is being done uh, internationally now. I, I usually tell parents that if your youngster is top 60 or 70 in the country, that you will get recruited uh, very quickly by American college. But if you are not ranked in the top 60 or 70 kids in the country, pretty much uh, you're going to be competing against 60 or 70 uh, other countries in the world. They're top 60 or 70, top 10 players from those countries, or 60 or 70 countries, uh, their top 10 players will be trying to go to colleges as well with the internet and with all of the, the ways of communication now and the ways of getting videos around. It's a tough deal. So you've got to be scrappy and you've got to be on the ball and you've got to create relationships with coaches and learn exactly uh, what the coach is about, what the program's about, what the kids are like on the team. And there's just a lot of work you have to do in the sport of tennis, do not wait around and think the coaches are going to be coming knocking on your door night and day. Uh, even if you're a pretty good tennis player, uh, it's not like football or basketball or some of the other sports. In the sport of tennis, you have got to go out and do the work yourself and make it a job to, to find schools that are interested in you because the coaches' budgets are just not the same in college, uh, as you may think. Uh, we've got 40 or 50 of the Power Five conference schools that have big budgets. Then you probably have three or 400 smaller schools that are looking for teams. But you, you've got to sort of make the connection. And right away, parents, there's a big difference between trying to go after the schools that are in-state versus the ones that are out-of-state. Most of the time, the schools that are in-state, if they're state schools, they're going to only cost half as much. And the other thing I wanted to tell you is that if you get a full scholarship, you've got to be very, very special in the sport of tennis. Now, on the men's side, uh, they, you break up the scholarships. You, that's what you have. You have four-and-a-half maximum scholarships, maybe for eight players or ten players or 12 players. On the women's side, usually they get eight full scholarships, and sometimes in the D2 and D, well, D3 doesn't have scholarships. Um, what happens, there's five categories now. There's NCAA D, Division One, Division Two, Division Three, and then there's NAIA, and then there's junior colleges. So there's five divisions. D3 is strictly academic, uh, eight only. D1 and 2 have scholarships, but D1 usually, on the women's side, they'll have eight full scholarships. 
On the men's side, they have four and a half max. And then on Division Two, they have anything from no scholarships to one to two to three sometimes. It just depends on the school and what they have to work with. And then junior colleges and NAI schools, are, they have – I'm not familiar with the amount of aid. So you've always got to look at whether or not the – the school has some seniors leaving because the coach only has as much money or much scholarship aid to pass out or to, to, to recruit you as he has seniors leaving. And every year it's different. And the rule of thumb, being a coach for all these years, this is my 42nd year as a head coach or an assistant coach, 42 years, um, there's sort of a rule of thumb. You always have to have two or three coming, two or three going, you always have to have balanced recruiting classes, but that's not the way that it works out. It usually works out. <laughs> it, it never is the same. That's all I can tell you. Sometimes you have players that come and go. Sometimes you have players on more scholarship that are seniors or less scholarships that are senior. But my biggest point is you've got to work with that coach. So I want to very quickly get into some definitions and tell you what things are. Uh, because you need to know these things as a parent or as a player. Uh, first of all, what a contact is. A contact is a face-to-face encounter between a college coach and a, and a, and a student-athlete. Um, and it's where more than just a greeting. If you just say hi to somebody, that's not a contact. But once you get past the high, the, the hi and hello and you start talking about your college, that's called a contact. Now, we're only allowed three contacts with a student-athlete where I can, I can go and talk to the player and, or the parents and say, this is what we've got to offer and let me find out more about you. Now, there's a contact period that goes on every year, and you have to – now they've uh, lengthened it, your contact period and your recruiting period for your junior and senior year. And, golly, I'm so used to doing it after – July after July of the senior year that it uh, I'm still not used to recruiting or making telephone calls to juniors but juniors will start getting recruiting letters and sometimes coaches think ahead that much and I guess a lot of them do I haven't been doing it so much yet but a lot of them uh, think ahead and recruit uh, about a year and a half ahead I I've always said that the uh, the two recruiting periods, which are one is in the fall in November, usually it's the second or third week in November, and then there's one in April. There's always two for tennis, but I've always sort of looked at uh, from the standpoint if you've got somebody really really likes your program and you hit it off with them quickly, and um, you can. You know, if you're just way out ahead of the game and they really want to come to your program, you get an early signee. But for the most part, I've found out in tennis, probably 60 or 70% of my signees uh, have always come in the spring and April period. So contact period is that uh, you're allowed – You're with contacts, you're allowed three times with a player. A dead period. Okay, a dead period is the time right around signing. It's – the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, until all day Wednesday of the signing period. Coaches cannot 
see a player on campus or off campus whatsoever. They have to sort of, uh, they're not allowed to do anything, but they are allowed to make phone calls during, during that period. So that's important to know that coach is not being rude. They might be right in the dead period when this is going on. They just can't, uh, can't talk to you on campus. They might, if you're on campus, they might turn around and walk away, but they, they cannot talk to you during that dead period. What they call, there's a thing called an evaluation where coach goes, watches a player play. You go to a tournament, you observe them. You're allowed five evaluations, and there's an evaluation period where a coach can uh, watch a player play, and and um, usually you a, a player is a prospect, an official prospect. Once they start their freshman year in high school, if um, you know they they are considered a potential prospect at that point, so. You, you really don't, do not have the freedom to uh, mix openly with coaches and things after once you get in high school. Now, if you have a long extended period of being taught by a coach at a program or something, they do call that a, uh, I forget what the heck they called it, a prior relationship or something. And they're not as strict as they used to be on that. So there is some leeway. But again, remember, coaches have to be very careful about the contact now, if they get coaches get serious about you, there's a thing called an official visit and an unofficial visit. An unofficial visit, you can go to the college anytime you want, a hundred times in a row if you want to, and look at the college and talk to people on campus. And it's pretty wide open; you can do anything you want there. But as far as an official visit, you're only allowed five official visits. Five. After, uh, let's see, golly, I think it's September 1st of your freshman year, of your uh, senior year in high school, an official visit. Uh, and now the coach has to sign sign you up for that, and the coach has to go through a process of getting what they call an NCAA clearinghouse number. Make sure that you register with the NCAA clearinghouse. There's a place where the one place in Indianapolis or where they look at your grades, they look at your transcript, they look at your SAT scores, and they basically have you on record of whether or not you are what they call a qualifier or a non-qualifier. So the point is, is uh, you, you can, you have to, before you can take a visit, an official visit, you have to present the coach, and then he's got to take it to his compliance officer or her compliance officer at that school and make sure that the coach um, has turned in your NCA clearinghouse number. You can register to NCA clearinghouse just by going to ncaa.org, O-R-G, ncaa.org. Go to the clearinghouse and then register um, and they'll give you a number. Then you have to turn in your SAT test or ACT test scores. It can be an unofficial score. It could be an unofficial transcript. It can be, but the co- but coaches have to be able to present this before they can invite you for an official visit. There are other things. Telephone calls, they've loosened up lately, and texts and everything. It used to be that you could only call someone body, somebody once a week now. Finally, you have unlimited calls. Um, you're allowed to call players when you need to, when you want to, 
I think that there just got to be so much technology. And uh, to tell you the truth, I don't understand all this Snapchat and the, and things like that, you know, but the Facebook things, understand this, coaches cannot take their pictures with you. You can't put it up on your sites and things like that. So whenever you take a picture to camp, I'm always a little bit leery of that. Uh, but, you know, camps and things are something. But the point is you a coach can't have what they call a uh, one-on-one personal relationship with you on Facebook, they can communicate, I think, in general. And, folks, look, I, I need to back off that one because I only do Facebook about five times in my daggone life. I'll send a program out uh, and on the Facebook. I had a uh, friend of mine show me how to do that, but uh, I don't I do not do the Facebook so much. You probably figured that out before. I've got all I ha- can do at uh, – just my website, chuckcreasy.net, and uh, I'm going to get more active on the Facebook and try to post more things that are pertinent. I, I just I don't like to dig on Facebook. What the heck can I say? But it will be important to know the Facebook rules, um, you know, when 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 the time comes. So, all right, so sort of what, what should you do? If you're an 8th, a ninth or 10th grader here, a ninth or 10th grader, um, Here's what you really need to do. You, you need to, in your academics, you need to meet with high school guidance counselor regard to the course selection and meet high school graduation requirements. Make sure that things that take things that prepare you for the rigors of college work and that also meet the NCAA eligibility requirement. Make sure that you keep your grades up. But in, in, as far as tennis, you know, you allowed keeping track of your players if you're a tennis coach. You try you start looking at tennis recruiting, uh, the different recruiting services that list you. Now they're using the doggone UTR, and as soon as I figure that, that is a good one. That's going to be a universal tennis rating, and I can't quite figure that out, but you all understand there. Make sure that you stay updated on the, the different, like, TennisRecruiting.net and those those things, the UTR thing. But here's the deal as far as coaches. Um, I like to develop relationship with kids uh, or hear about them. You know, sometimes a coach will call and that, or sorry, a, a player will email me or send me. You know what I love? I love to get handwritten notes. I love to get handwritten notes. Whenever a youngster write a handwritten note and say, Coach, uh, I want to learn more about your program, uh, can you let me know? I might uh, get their email and be able to – they'll send me their email, an email, and, and I, I can at least answer their questions or answer their coach's questions. But, uh, you know, get to know the coaches in your area. But understand they are under rules uh, that they have to follow. But ninth and tenth, ninth and tenth grade should all be about just communication and, and learning about different schools. Now, eleventh grade, make sure you register for SAT or ACT scoring. Make sure you register and led by eleventh grade with NCA Eligibility Center. Uh, do this before you take the ACT or SAT test, but just you got to register. After registering, make sure that your high school sends your official transcript to the eligibility center. 
They've got to have that information. Then you keep working with your high school guidance counselor. Just ask questions. Ask questions of your high school guidance counselor and make sure that they've, they've dealt with enough athletes, they've dealt with the NCAA enough that they can make sure that they get the stuff to the clearinghouse. Then go to tennis. Uh, there, there's different services, like I said, and try to figure out whether you're a three-star, four-star, five-star, one-star, two-star, what your UTR rating is. The coaches like to see that. Listen, if you have a recruiting video, your junior, senior, send it to the coach. He can take a look at you there. Let him also know where the tournaments are that you're going to be playing. And maybe you can uh, go to the tournament. He can go to the tournament or she can go to the tournament and see you play. But um, this is, it's again, it's, it, there's, it, nothing happens without the re- developing the relationship and the coach knowing about you. Again, it's not football or basketball where they have big budgets and have a big coaching staff. Most of the time, all the recruiting is done by one coach or two coaches on the tennis staff, and it is something because you get, golly, I get emails from all over the world. I bet I get international emails eight to ten a week, and you've got to decide uh, what you want. Now, I'm, I'm going to go sort of the way I look at the recruiting here in a second, but I'm going to run through 12. By the 12th year, 12th grade, don't panic. Just keep working with guidance counselor. Keep developing the relationships. And, again, a coach, here's the timetable. A coach will usually talk to you uh, or contact you and after July 1st they're allowed to. But July, August, in there, and by September – Early October, they'll be inviting you in for an early visit if they're really, really, really interested. And then they want to make a decision maybe in November. But for the most part, over the years, the schools I've been at, I've, I've worked pretty hard at the recruiting. So usually it's, I always feel like it takes me six months or more in developing a relationship. So that's just sort of the way the way it goes with, with the thing. So. I hope these are a few things that will help you. Now, I want to I want to talk very briefly about the way I look at recruiting into five categories. Now, I've been in it again 42 years. I've been recruiting. <laughs> it is not coach's favorite job because of the travel, because of the unknown part of it. And, uh, you know, basically I try to look for a lot of things, but, I look for the individuals that have the right culture, work ethic, the right culture of excellence, the right mentality to continue to improve. And I really mean this when I say this, that there are probably only 10 players in the United States that if they go to college, they are good enough where they don't have to improve a lot, they go to college. Everybody has to get better. Everybody has to have a good work ethic. Everybody has to make those people around you better. I really, I always look at a player and I say, is that youngster going to make people around him uh, or her a better tennis player and a better person? Or is it, uh, name is Billy or Tom, is it the Billy show or is it the Tom show? 
It's not the Coach Chuck show, believe me. It is it is basically a situation every day at practice where you have to get better and keep working and keep working and keep working. You want to invest your life as a coach with youngsters who are absolutely committed to the mission, who are more than just committed. They are compliant to the what you need, but they're committed to improving and to the culture and to the mission. But you want youngsters who also who are inspired. I call it inspired enthusiasm. Inspired enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, the best word, best thing anyone could ever say to you is that you are enthusiastic. Enthusiasm comes from the Greek derivative, hen theos, the spirit of God within. If you somebody calls you enthusiastic, look, folks, that's about the best compliment they could ever give you. I love being around people that inspire me. If you have to inspire youngsters every day you go out and you feel like you're having to come up with the next thing that pleases them, that is a long, long career, and you never want to spend the 12 or 14 or 1,500 days of a college career with that kind of youngster. You dread every ball that you hit to them. So the most important thing is do people around this youngster get better? Are they others-centered? Are they? Do they believe in the law of reciprocities where whatever I give to others, it comes back to me tenfold? Are they go-givers or are they go-getters? I want the go-giver. Now, there are five categories of players that I look at. And listen here, this might help you. Where does your child fit in or where do you fit into this? But there's the blue-chip athletes. These are the players everybody wants. These are the difference makers. These are the players that immediately have impact on your program, and they can play up high early. And, folks, let me tell you this. 33 years at Clemson and the 42 years that I've been in coaching, I have only had one freshman come in as a freshman and play number one, and that was a player named Lawson Duncan, and that was back in 1983-84. And I didn't want him to play number one starting out. But daggone it, the guy came in and started winning every tournament. And I had to play him number one. He got all the way to the finals of the NCAA. He lost to Michael Pernfors in 1983-84, right in there. And daggone it, I didn't want to. But he's the only player, even the great Jay Berger, was like number four on the team as a freshman, worked his way up to three. Then his sophomore year, he, came, he went to actually played juniors that next summer, qualified, won Kalamazoo, got to go to the U.S. Open, made round of 16 at the U.S. Open, and he came back to college. Can you believe that? He turned down that much money to come back to college because he felt like he had to get stronger. He had to learn a little bit more. But he wasn't number one as a freshman. A player like Richard Matichewski, who got to 48 in the world, he was number on the team until 11 matches left in his freshman year. Kent Kinnear, who got to number two in the world in doubles and played in 37 grand slams in doubles. 37 grand slams. He got as high as two in the world with his partner. He played eight as a freshman. Can you believe that? But Kent was a high school 
basketball player, a brilliant athlete, a go-giver all the way. He contributed to the welfare of other people, the law of reciprocities. You know, the coolest thing about Kent Kinnear, and I mentioned this one time, uh, you know, he was coaching up as an assistant at Illinois. And I remember the great Kevin Anderson was one of the players they were coaching. And I was talking about Kent Kinnear. And I said the brilliant thing about Kent Kinnear was that he he took – you could beat Kent Kinnear's tennis game, but you could never beat Kent Kinnear. He had a brilliance of taking what he did seriously, but he never took himself too seriously. But anyhow, those first category of blue chip players, good luck if you're one of those. You'll have a – You'll have a great time getting recruited, but just remember, even if you're the blue chip player, it's not the Tom, Billy, or Joe, or Susie, or Chuck show. You know, it's about you making people around you better. Now, the second category of recruits are players ranked from 50 to about 120 in the world. I'm very leery of these players, to tell you the truth, because a lot of these players, a lot of these guys, in my case, have played since they were 12 years old, and they've already seen everything. They've been to every circus. They've been to every show, and they sort of know how hard everything is, and they've already pulled the plug. They've cashed it in. I really, unless the person is special, if they've been playing that long and if they've cashed it in, I've run away from them. I'd rather have the third category, which is the late bloomer athlete. I like the basketball player. I like the soccer player becomes a tennis player. I like the multiple sport athlete. I like the person that is hungrier than a starving dog looking at a meat truck when they get to college. And they're looking to improve, and they see that pro career out ahead of them. Now, the 11 players that I've had make the top 100 in the ATP Tour, I only had, out of those 11, there were only truly – three blue chip players. The other eight were late bloomer athletes. They were late bloomers and it took them a while to come along. So you got the blue chip athletes. Then you have the kids that are 50 to 120, and I call that the beware, watch out. They might've already pulled the plug group. The late bloomers are the ones I love. Actually, I built my teams at Clemson with late bloomers, and I got one blue chipper about every other year, so I might have two blue chippers on the team, and then some daggone good late bloomers. The fourth category is the foreign athlete. Now, just personally, I never go to the foreign athlete until I, if unless I'm getting shut out by the first three groups. Um, and I, you know, there's some foreign kids out there that I've had some great successes with. But I primarily try to recruit American kids first. But, again, American kids out there, don't hang out, breathe air, occupy space, and wait for somebody to come around and knock on your door. You have to do a lot of the legwork. Look, and if you're a parent, let your youngster make the calls. Let your youngster develop the relationship with the coach. Don't you do all the interference, tell the coach, my Johnny is so good. Oh, you're so good. He's just the greatest kid ever. He's a great kid. He's a great kid. Look, coaches just that turns coaches off so fast. If you have a, a credible coach that works with Johnny or Billy or Susie, you get that coach to make the initial contact, that's okay. You know, and do not put pressure on them to have to follow through and get a place for your kid to go. If that coach 
passes on one kid to a um, – if your high school coach or your teaching pro passes on one uh, – gosh, my boss always used to say a pig and a poke. You know, you don't – you know, you don't pass on a player that's not going to be a fit. But if the coach does that to you once, they lose their credibility. But I think the coach can make the contact, then let the youngster take over. We as coaches want to get to know that youngster. We don't want to – we don't care about what the parent thinks my Johnny or Billy are so good. We all think our kids are the greatest thing out there. You need to get to know – the youngster and whether or not it fits the uh, category that you're looking for. So again, there's blue chip, then there's the danger kids, 50 to 120. Now look, there might, if you're 75 in the country, you say, well, I'm not one of those danger kids. Well, that's true. But if you're somebody that's played since you're 10 and you're just trying to go to college and you're, that's all you're trying to do, you're trying to cash it in, boo, boy, coach doesn't like that because you'll have pretty good freshman year, great freshman year pretty good sophomore year by the third year you you're about done you could uh you're about done and you're you're really not going to do the things you need to do coach wants somebody that's going to be contributors a freshman a real contributor sophomore leader on the team by the time they're junior and a great player as a senior thinking i can go out and play now on the pros maybe because I've done all this work, but you want somebody that continues to improve. So blue chip, 50 to 120, the danger area kids. Late bloomers are the ones I like, folks, the hungry the hungry kids. Then you've got the foreign kids that you go to if you don't get those. Then you've got the junior college transfers. Or, you know, and, and let me tell you this. There's some really good junior, progr- junior college programs out there. Golly, I remember old uh, – TJC Tyler out there, the great coach John Peterson. He's been on my program before a couple years ago, but I think he's an AD or he's retired now. But my golly, you could call him if you got in a pinch and you didn't have a recruit yet. But, uh, you know, and he would always have somebody good for you. But because he was well, they were well trained those first two years. If you do have to go to junior college, remember, if you're a non-qualifier, that means if you didn't do well in school, you got to go two years, and you've got to uh, graduate in, I think, 48 transferable hours at most schools, 48 transferable hours. Now, if you are a qualifier, you can transfer from a junior college after one year, but you've got to go through your coach anytime. And listen, as far as transfers, coaches – you know, anytime I get, I get I get so many of these letters, even right now, but probably one or two a week and say, Coach, I don't like my school. I don't like my coach. It's too cold up here. I'm trying to get the heck out of here and go somewhere else. I go, delete. I don't even talk to those kids. It's, it's like when they're fishing around like that, it's probably you're going to inherit somebody else's problems. Bloom where you're planted, grow in that garden where the good Lord has put you, and daggone it, you owe a lot to those places that have given you the initial uh, place to go to. But if there's are situations where on if you're on the up and up and you tell a coach, look, I want to stay here two years and I want to transfer to my dream school, which is so-so-and-so, 
And I, I've already want to let you know up top, up front. If you do it that way, that's great. But don't be Weasley. Don't work around behind the coach's back and try to just say I want to, I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can or something. No, no. look, coaches are, are a lot smarter than you think, but you, you don't want to inherit somebody else's problems. Again, let's get back to the type of kids that make it or the type of kids that believe in the law of reciprocities. They're the type of players that make everybody around them better because their culture is good. Well, listen, I am dang on. It's it's uh, flying here. I'm already about out of time here. I want to um, – I hope this is some good information for you. Um, I'll let you uh, chew over this stuff. Always go to chuckcreasy.net, and we'll have stuff up there. Holler at me. Send me an email if you got any uh, interest. I can help you answer some questions about the recruiting process, um, you know, within whatever the rules are. Now, remember that I'm restricted in many, many ways. But send me an email at chuckcreasy at gmail.com, chuckcreasy, K-R-I-E-S-E at gmail.com. Look at my website at chuckcreasy.net. And, and folks, uh, that's about what we got time for today. I will see you next week on American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. Made in America, born in a heartland, raised up a family, a King James and a Sam. He's got the red, white, blue, fine high on a farm, Semper Fi tattooed on his left arm, spent a little more in the store for a tag in the back of this. of winning or losing every day of your life and it has very little to do with a win or a loss we'll see you next week on american tennis opinions stated by various contributors to the ur tennis network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the ur tennis network participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions all information products and services offered by the ur tennis network are for personal use only the UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.